Hey guys, welcome back to a Chinese teen talking about Islam podcast. In case you haven't noticed yet, I'm currently playing the lo-fi background music、um, to help me relax more and help me、um, not be so anxious all the time when I'm recording. Because, like always, I don't have the elaborated.、Um, Script in my hand right now, like I used to. So I just have a super brief script right here with me. So I'm gonna try my best to just explain everything well. So,、um, like always, I just want to do a little bit recap.、Um, it's currently in the afternoon. It's three o'clock, and by the time you are listening to this, it's probably. Already in July or the end of June, so、um, I hope you are having a great summer. And today we are going to talk about Sufism and um, Sikhism. Um, but like I said, a little bit recap. I'm sorry, I'm I'm beginning to stutter. I want to talk about insecurities for two minutes. I'm super insecure. I am insecure about where I'm from. I know a lot of people will probably don't feel insecure about their location, their nationality, where they come from. But I am. I am really, really insecure about the city that I come from.、Um, I am very insecure about where I live. I'm insecure about my background. I know it sounds ungrateful, but. It's just what I feel like, and I am comfortable under my own skin. But when I go out there, when I'm outside, and when I'm exposed to so many people, even when I'm exposed to my neighbors, I feel uncomfortable. That's why a lot of times my parents are upset because I tell them to please, you guys, please. When we're outside, like, um, when we go outside, um, to. Go for a walk or something, and then we'll have to walk past the、um, apartment doors and the stairs,、um, a staircase, and then we're gonna pass a lot of people, a lot of doors, even if it's just our neighbor. I feel insecure. I don't want to make any sounds, and I don't want to let anyone hear any of our conversations and just any sounds. I feel uncomfortable being around people, even if I'm surrounded by those people 24/7. And I've been living here for more than ten years. I don't know. It sounds really dramatic and weird, but it's just how I feel.、Um, sometimes I just want to stuck in my house twenty four for twenty four hours instead of going outside for a walk or something. And then I'd rather、um, order food online and order takeaways instead of going out for a lunch or a brunch or a coffee drink or a coffee break. So it's. Affecting my life, and especially when I'm on my period, I don't want to move. Although it's toxic, but it's just how I feel, and I want to speak my mind right here for a couple of minutes. Um, I don't have that kind of social life that you probably imagine, or you probably have. It's complicated. It's really complicated. I feel like I'm an outsider observing everyone in my country, but、uh, just 
observing people around me, not my country, that's exaggerating. Um, I don't want to interact with people at some point in my life because I'm just so used to being alone and being not close to anyone, just stuck, probably kind of stuck in my own personal life and bubble. I do have a lot of friends online and we um, occasionally talk and share some fun stuff, but in real life, just school and family businesses and family issues are just occupying my mental space and I don't have the ability to clear it up. Um, so efficiently, effectively, I probably need to take one whole day in a week to just decompress and figure things out. Okay, so I just want to talk about my, um, literature editor editor um sorry editor job real quick um it's actually an internship um i joined a literary magazine months ago and i've already officially finished the editorial course and i passed that exam four out of four congratulations to me i feel so so grateful because i absolutely love that course i love the process of editing and reading those amazing pieces of work um, I remember my final assignment is about fluid. It's a poet poetry. Um, it's a poem about fluid. It's about how powerful the fluid is. And and I love how the poet or the writer um, described vividly about those the actions and he also he or she also personified the fluid and showcased how the power of the fluid and the um, different sides of the fluid, like different sides of its power. So it's super interesting, although the implications may not be a little bit vague, but overall it's definitely an excellent poem and I enjoy reading it and editing it and I just want to say that. I don't know, I haven't talked to anyone about it, so yeah. So enough chit chat. We are going to talk about Sufism in first, in case you don't know anything about Sufism. Um, I'm gonna explain that to you. So, um, Sufism, I will probably start by saying that Sufism is an artistic expression to connect your personal life and growth with God. Sufism is not um, an art form. It is a way of connecting. It is self-expression. It's about self-expression. It's about focusing on your own personal connection with God instead of anything else. It's really beautiful. Um, sometimes people are very confused about this expression and they may, um, have hatred towards Sufism, which is absolutely unnecessary and awful. Um, Sufism is actually the mystical aspect of Islam as a religion. There are Sufis in all sects of Islam, whether you are Sunni or Shia, there are Sufism, uh, like Sufis, um, in those sects. And Sufism is not interested in having an organized 
entity to mediate that personal relationship, well, that relationship with the divine. The mystics drew their vocab largely from the Quran, which for Muslims contains all divine wisdom and has to be interpreted with ever-increasing insight. In the holy text, mystics found the threat of last judgment, but they also found a statement that God loves them and that they love him, which became the basis for love mysticism. Strict obedience to religious law and imitation of the prophet were basic for the mystics. By rigid introspection and mental struggle, the mystic tried to purify his space or self from even the smallest signs of selfishness. Absolute, um, thus, he wants to attain absolute purity of intention and act. Trust in God was something practiced to such an extent that every thought of tomorrow was considered irreligious. Little sleep, little talk, little food were fundamental. Fasting became one of the most important preparations for the spiritual life. The central concern of the Sufis um, was the witness that there is no deity but God. This truth had to be realized in existence of each individual and so the expressions differ. Early Sufism postulated the approach to God through love and voluntary suffering un until a unity of will was reached. Um, for example, some was spoke of recognizing God as he was before creation. God is seen as the one and only actor. He alone has the right to say I. Later, this form came to mean the knowledge that there is nothing system but God or the ability to see God and creation as two aspects of one reality, reflecting each other and depending upon each other. The mystics realized that beyond the knowledge of outward sciences, intuitive knowledge was required in order to receive the illumination to which reason has no access. Um, direct tasting of experience was essential for those people, but the inspirations and unveilings that God grants such mystics by special grace must never contradict the holy book and tradition and are valid only for the person concerned. Even the people who attracted public contempt upon themselves by outwardly acting against the law in private life strictly followed the divine commands. Those are some important aspects in Sufism. Now let's talk about Sufi, Sufi organization. So mystical life was first restricted to the relation between the master and a few disciples. The foundations of a monastic system were laid by the Persian um, scholar, but real orders and fraternities came into existence only from the 12th century. A strict ritual was elaborated. When the adept had found a master for whom he had to fill a preformed affinity, there was an initiation ceremony in which he swore allegiance into the master's hand, similarities to the in in initiation in Islamism. Um, the 19th century sect and in a guide suggest a possible interaction. The disciple had to undergo stern training. He was often ordered to perform the lowest work in a community, to serve the brethren, to go out to beg. A seclusion period of 40 days under hard conditions was common for the adepts in most orders. Of course, in the earliest times, allegiance was sworn exclusively to one master who had complete power over the disciple, controlling each of his movements, thoughts, visions, and even dreams. But later, many Sufis got those allegiance from two or more masters. There is consequently a differentiation between the master who introduced the disciple into the ritual forms and literature of the order and um, the other sect who steadily watches him and with whom the disciple lives. 
Only a few members of the fraternity remained in the center, close to the master, but even those were not bound to celibacy. Most of the initiated returned to their daily life and partook, partook in mystic services only during certain periods. The most mature disciple was invested as successor to the master and was often sent abroad to extend their activities and visions. Well, one interesting fact is that is about the geographical extent of Sufi orders. It would be impossible to number the members of mystical orders in the Islamic world, even in such countries like Turkey, where the orders have been banned since 1925, many people still cling to the mystical tradition and feel themselves to be links in the spiritual chains of the orders and try to implement their ideals in modern society. The most widely spread group is no doubt the Qadayira, the, uh, whose adherents are found from um, West Africa to India and the areas where those people live are restricted to uh, the Atlas Massif and the coastal plain from Morocco to Tunisia, whereas uh, other people have some offshoots in Turkey. Some rural orders as the Egyptian sorry, Ahmadiyya and others are bound to their respective countries. A lot of people are also bound to their respective countries. The significance of Sufism is also a part that I would like to discuss. Um, Sufism has helped to shape large parts of Muslim society. The Orthodox disagree with such aspects of Sufism as saint worship, visiting of tombs, musical performances, miracle mongering, degenerating into jugglery, and the adaptation of pre-Islamic and un-Islamic customs, and the reformers object to the influences of the monastic interpretation of Islam upon moral life and human activities. The importance given to the figure of the master is accused of yielding negative results. Um, the master as the almost infallible leader of he disciples and admirers could gain dangerous authority and political influence for the illiterate villagers in rural areas used to rely completely upon the saint. Yet other masters have raised their voices against social inequality and have tried, even at the cost of their lives, to change social and political conditions for the better and to spiritually revive the masses. The missionary activities of the Sufis have enlarged the fold of the faithful, the importance of Sufism for spiritual education and inclusion in the faithful of the virtues of trust in God, piety, faith in God's love, and veneration of the Prophet cannot be overrated. Industrialization and modern life have led to a constant decrease in the influence of Sufi orders in many countries. The spiritual heritage is preserved by individuals who sometimes try to show that mystical experience conforms to modern science. Today in the West, Sufism is popularized, but the genuinely and authentically devout are aware that it requires strict discipline and that its goal can be reached if at all as they say, only by throwing oneself into the consuming fire of divine love. Sufism, from the way I see it, I would like to call it a way of life. It is less a doctrine or a belief system than experience and a way of life. It is a tradition of enlightenment that carries the essential truth forward throughout history. And in Sufism, a deeper identity is discovered and lived actively. 
this deeper identity beyond the known personality of oneself is in harmony with awe that exists. This identity or essential self has abilities of awareness, action, creativity, humbleness, and love that are far beyond the abilities of the superficial personality. Eventually, at the end of the day, it is understood that these abilities belong to a greater life and being which we individualize in our own unique way and personal connection with the divine while never being separate from it. And the expression of Sufism must not remain limited to the religious and cultural forms of the past. The truth of Sufism requires reformulation and fresh expression in every era and every age. Reformulation does not mean that it will compromise its challenge to a stubbornly materialistic society like today. It is and will remain a critique of worldliness uh, because Sufis actually um, pursue austerity in life, so they are strong critiques of worldliness and materialistic societies. And worldliness means everything that causes us to be forgetful of the divine reality. It is and must be a way out of the labyrinth of a secular commercial culture. Most importantly, however, it is an invitation to a person's well-being and its li- uh, his or her life's meaningfulness. But, as we know, Sufism developed within the cultural matrix of Islam. The Islamic revelation presented itself as the expression of the essential message brought to humanity by the prophets of all ages. The holy text recognizes the validity of 120,000 prophets or messengers who have come to awaken us from our selfish egoism and remind us of our spiritual nature. The Quran confirmed the validity of past revelations while certain that the original message was often distorted over the course of time. Sufism's claim to universality is founded on the board recognition, broad recognition that there is only one God, the God of all people and all true religions. Sufism understands itself to be the wisdom realized by the grave prophets, explicitly including Jesus, Moses, David, Solomon, and among others, and implicitly including other unnamed enlightened beings of every culture. So it's very inclusive. In the Western world today, diverse group exists under the name of Sufism, on the one hand, there are those who would say that no true Sufism can exist without appreciation and practice of the principles of Islam. On the other hand, some groups groups exist that more or less ignore the Islamic roots of Sufism and take their teaching from further downstream from Sufis who may or may not have had contact with specifically Islamic teachings. Well, we could say that there are those who accept Sufism as both form and essence, and there are others who are Sufi in essence but not in form. The way I see it, an appreciation or understanding of the Quran, the holy book, the sayings of Muhammad, and historical Sufism is invaluable to the wayfarer on the Sufi path. Throughout the history, Sufism was not conceived as separate form um, as separate from the essence of Islam. Its teachings all trace their enlightenment through a chain of transmission going back to the Prophet. While they may have disagreed with certain interpretations of Islam, they never questioned the essential validity of the holy text, Revelation, nor were they fundamentalists in the sense of originally interpreting their revelation or discrediting other faiths. Most often, they represented the highest achievements within Islamic culture and were a force of tolerance and moderation, which I definitely adore. Our over 14 centuries 
this broad Sufi tradition has contributed a body of literature second to none on earth. Somehow, the guiding principles of the Quran and the heroic virtue of Muhammad and his companions provided an impetus that allowed the spirituality of love and consciousness to flourish. Those who follow the Sufi path today are the inheritors of an immense treasure of wisdom and literature in particular. Throughout the history, again, I have mentioned this phrase so, so many times, Sufism has organically grown like a tree with many branches. The cause of the branching has usually been the appearance of an enlightened teacher whose methods and contributions to teaching have been enough to initiate a new line of growth. These branches generally don't see each other as rivals. A Sufi, in some cases, may be initiated into more than one branch in order to receive the grace, the barakah, and, and knowledge of particular order. There is little cultishness in the work of Sufis. Sufis of one order may, for instance, visit gatherings of another order. Even the charisma of a particular teacher is always viewed from the perspective that this gift is owed entirely to God. The charisma is valuable in so far as it may bind the hearts of students to a human being who is the truth of the teaching, but many safeguards exist to remind everyone that personality, worship, and inordinate pride in one's affiliation are forms of sin. We live in a culture that has been described and recognized and seen and perceived as materialistic, alienating, neurotically, neurotically individualistic, narcissistic, and yet ridden with anxiety, guilt, shame, and sins. From the Sufi point of view, humanity today is suffering against, like, suffering under the greatest tyranny, the tyranny of ego. We worship innumerable... In neuro, oh my God! Sorry, we worship innumerous, innumerable false idols, but all of them are forms of the eagle. There are so many ways for the human eagle to usurp even the pure spiritual values. The true Sufi is the one who makes no claims to virtue or truth, but lives a life of presence and selfless love. More important than what we believe is how we live if certain beliefs lead to exclusiveness to a self-righteousness fanaticism or narcissism it is the vanity of the believer that is the problem it's not the thing itself but the person who believed in that thing if the remedy increases the sickness an even more basic remedy is called for the idea of presence with love may be the most basic remedy for the prevailing materialism, selfishness, and unconsciousness of our age. In our obsession with our false selves, in turning our backs on God, we have also lost our essential self within, our own divine spark. In forgetting the divine, our external divine, we have forgotten ourselves. Remembering your true self is probably the former form and the first step of remembering the faith that you believe in thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode um i will probably see you guys in three days or in a week
Bye. Have a nice summer.